Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of tuberous sclerosis found under the neurology section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A one-year-old boy presents to the pediatric emergency department with abnormal shaking. The parents describe these shaking episodes as sudden and brief symmetric contractions of his upper and lower extremities. The infant sustains the contraction for a few seconds and subsequently relaxes. On physical exam, he continues to have these spells and is treated with midazolam. Laboratory testing is unremarkable. After these episodes subside, he undergoes an EEG, which demonstrates hypsarrhythmia. An MRI of the brain with and without gadolinium demonstrates cortical dysplasia. Genetic testing is remarkable for a TSC1 mutation. Let's continue with an introduction to tuberous sclerosis. This is defined as a neurocutaneous autosomal dominant disease that can affect any organ. In terms of the epidemiology, remember that neurologic disease is the most common cause of death, and renal disease is the second most common cause of death. In terms of the etiology, this can be due to a TSC1 mutation, which encodes hamerton on chromosome 9, or a TSC2 mutation, which encodes tuberin on chromosome 16. In terms of the pathogenesis, normally hamerton and tuberin form a complex that downregulates mTOR signaling. When these proteins are disrupted, it leads to unregulated cell growth and proliferation, ultimately resulting in the formation of hamartomas in various locations. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms and physical exam findings in central nervous system disease include seizures. This is secondary to cortical dysplasia, such as from tubers, subependymal nodules, and subependymal giant cell astrocytomas. This can present as infantile spasms in infants and have hypsarrhythmias on EEG. This may also present with intellectual disability. In cardiac disease, patients may present with arrhythmias. This is secondary to cardiac rhabdomyomas, which is common in infants. Patients may also present with mitral regurgitation. In renal disease, patients may present with renal failure, secondary to progressive enlargement of angiomyolipomas. In dermatologic disease, patients may present with facial angiofibromas, hypomelanotic macules, also referred to as ash leaf spots, ungal fibromas, and chagrin patches. In terms of further imaging, an MRI of the brain with and without gadolinium may demonstrate cortical tubers and lesions in the impendimal lining of the third and fourth ventricles. MRI of the abdomen may demonstrate renal angiomyolipomas. In terms of further studies, genetic testing can help to confirm the diagnosis. With regards to the differential, remember to think about other causes of seizures. This can be secondary to hypoglycemia, hyper or hyponatremia, brain malignancy, and other seizure disorders such as juvenile myoclonus. In terms of treatment, medical options include corticotropin. This is indicated as the treatment of choice of infantile spasms. Remember that vigabatrin can be used as an alternative. The specific medication would be adrenocorticotropic hormone. And lastly, complications related to tuberous sclerosis include seizures, obstructive hydrocephalus, and end-stage renal disease. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to tuberous sclerosis, let's walk through a question to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For this question, consider the following clinical scenario. 
A five-month-old boy presents with his mother to the pediatrician's office because the mother is concerned about some abnormal movements that her son has been making for the past month. She states that he will often jerk his arms out to the sides of his body, especially when he is crying or just waking up. The episodes typically last a few seconds. This is the mother's first child, so she is not sure if these behaviors are normal, but is concerned that they are increasing in frequency, initially occurring only a few times a day, but increasing to 50 times per day over the past month. Otherwise, he does not seem to move around very much and does not jerk other parts of his body. He is feeding well and is very happy baby. He was born at 38 weeks via non-complicated vaginal delivery. On exam, his temperature is 98.5 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.9 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 93 over 61. Pulse is 110 beats per minute and respirations are 32 breaths per minute. He is able to track an object with his eyes. He is unable to sit up. The pediatrician decides to order an EEG, which demonstrates high amplitude irregular spikes and waves in a background of chaotic disorganized activity. The serum pyridoxal phosphate level is 15 micrograms per liter, with the normal range being between 5 and 50. Which of the following is the most appropriate treatment for this patient? And the answer choices are, Choice 1. Adrenocorticotropic hormone and corticosteroids. Choice 2. Carbamazepine. Choice 3. Ethosuximide. Choice 4. Phenytoin. Or choice 5. Pyridoxine. The best answer to this question is choice 1. Adrenocorticotropic hormone and corticosteroids. This patient's EEG pattern of high-amplitude irregular spikes and waves in a background of chaotic, disorganized activity is consistent with hypsarrhythmia. The patient's frequent jerking episodes in hypsarrhythmia on EEG are indicative of West syndrome, which should be treated with ACTH and corticosteroids. West syndrome typically presents as infantile spasms that often begin in the first few months after birth. The most common etiology is tuber sclerosis although other etiologies such as vitamin B6 deficiency should be assessed. Infantile spasms appear similar to an exaggerated moral reflex and can occur up to 100 times per day, often during crying or waking. Patients also present with psychomotor retardation and will have intellectual disability. The hallmark finding is hypsarrhythmia on EEG. Treatment consists of ACTH and corticosteroids, which suppress corticotropin-releasing hormone and reduce neuroexcitability. Vigabatrin can also be used as first-line therapy for infantile spasms in patients with tuber sclerosis, cardiac disease, cortical dysplasia, and who are at high risk for infections. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 2. Carbamazepine is an anti-epileptic drug used to treat focal or partial seizures and generalized tonic-clonic seizures. However, it is contraindicated in the treatment of West syndrome as it can worsen infantile spasms. Choice 3. Ethosuximide is used to treat absent seizures, which typically present in children as staring or blinking spells with no post-ictal state. On EEG, absent seizures present as a 3-hertz spike in wave pattern. Choice 4. Phenytoin is an anti-epileptic drug used to treat generalized tonic-clonic seizures and complex partial seizures. However, it is contraindicated in the treatment of West syndrome as it can worsen infantile spasms. Choice 5. 
Pyridoxine can be used in the treatment of patients with West syndrome who are B6 deficient. High-dose pyridoxal phosphate is not a first-line treatment in patients with infantile spasms who are not vitamin B6 deficient or dependent. Finally, a bullet summary. West syndrome presents as infantile spasms and hypsarrhythmia on EEG and should be treated with adrenocorticotropic hormone and corticosteroids. That's all for this review about tuberous sclerosis. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here, on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.